In last week's episode, I talked about how the extinction of experience is actually a bigger problem than species extinctions. And if you don't know what that is, check out the episode because this extinction of experience is the foundation for all of the thinking behind species extinctions. Anyway, I I also talked about how citizen science or community science can be a way to reconnect people to nature and reverse that extinction of experience and I had a paper all about it. This week's episode was inspired because an email subscriber reached out to me and asked me a question about a citizen science project that he is a part of, the City Nature Challenge. So I thought, we we did have a discussion off air, but I thought it would be really great. He had some really great questions to air his questions as a podcast episode. So this week we talk about what the City Nature Challenge is and how it benefits science, but in my mind, even more importantly, how it connects people to nature. So again, that theme that we really need to connect people to nature for the sake of conservation. And the City Nature Challenge is next week, so make sure you listen to this episode so you can participate. I am also super happy to report that I am in Raleigh, North Carolina again, recording outside on my deck in beautiful weather with everything leafed out. I left Buffalo, I left the snow, and I feel like I've missed a bit of spring here, but I'm really happy to be back in this warm weather. So let's listen to this interview with George Gehrig about his experience in bioblitzes and the City Nature Challenge. I hope you enjoy this. Before we get started, I just wanted to talk about a new program that I am running, and I need some founding members to help me co-create this project. It is for kids around ages of 8 to 12 and their parents, and the goal of this program is to get outside, get connected to nature, and get them learning about wildlife and nature by using real wildlife biology activities that we do as scientists so that they can learn about science, the process of science. So often in school, you're just you're just memorizing facts or just learning about animals, like what's this part called and what this animal does. But in this program, kids are really going to be learning what science is, and this will help them become more informed and more critical thinkers as, as citizens when they grow up. A big component of this program is to also get kids outside so we can get them off of their devices and interacting in nature which provides so many mental health, physical health benefits. I know that parents out there are struggling with what to do with their kids since the pandemic. Well, this program has got you covered. We're going to come up with really fun activities for kids to do. If you can't always go outside, that's okay. We're going to have virtual activities as well, virtual alternatives. We are going to interact as a group. You're going to interact with me as a scientist. I am just so excited for this program. So if you are interested, just head over to fancyscientist.com and you should see a tab for Kids Wildlife Program. You can sign up there and get some more information. Hi, I'm Dr. Stephanie Shuttler, a wildlife biologist who's learned throughout her career studying animals that science alone cannot save species. 
we need you. In the Fancy Scientist podcast, you'll learn about fun animals, conservation tips, and science advice, all while breaking stereotypes about what a scientist looks like. Let's get started. You are the expert, remember. (laughs) Well, thank you, George, for coming on the podcast. I'm so excited to chat with you today. Well, it's my pleasure to be here with you. And as we were talking before the recording started, I, I am feeling a little imposter syndrome because I'm a layperson talking and a non-wildlife biologist, and I'm talking to the experts. So it's just a real joy to have this opportunity to exchange some ideas with you. Well, thank you. And anyone can become a wildlife biologist. That's what I say. You just have to persevere enough. You, you, you have to just really want it and go for it. So you are organizing a city nature challenge this year, correct? Correct. Can you tell people what the city nature challenge is? And you've been, you've been a long-term participant of one as well. So it's complicated. I worked in an academic health sciences center with its own ecosystem for uh, most of my adult life. And a couple of years ago, I had an opportunity to to retire and I just pulled the trigger. And I have always been called to the mountains. So I moved to North Idaho where I'm at right now. When I was working, I always had a passion for the outdoors and, and education. So one of the organizations that I joined was the Master Naturalists. And it was through the Master Naturalists that I was introduced to BioBlitzes. And through BioBlitzes, I became aware of a City Nature Challenge, but I've never organized one and I've never participated in one. So that's another reason why I feel a little imposter syndrome, you know, because I'm putting one together, but you know, but, 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 you know, the, the, the neat thing is it's never been done in the state. So. Oh, in the entire state? For the entire state. Oh, right? wow. That's great. Yeah. So for the first I mean, it's time, great that you're doing the first one. <laughs> well, so, you know, what, what's been so good is when I got involved in the planning process, I noted, I noticed that another city in Idaho was also participating And I have to give a shout out to Christian Nojeski from Boise Parks and Rec. They tried to do it last year, but COVID interrupted them. And Mm -hmm. so when I saw her on the list, I reached out to her and we began collaborating and she's been extremely helpful. She's got a a wildlife background. And I noticed too, for the first time, there was a a small city in Montana that was participating. And I really need to get a, give a shout out to Courtney Long, who uh, is, who's working with the, the city of Red Lodge, Montana. So the three of us have been, it's first time for all three of us. And so we've, we've, been, we've been collaborating and helping each other. And we formed like a little mini competition between us, which is turning out to be really fun. That's great. Yeah. And so for those of you who don't know, can you explain what a bio blitz is? Well, so a BioBlitz is an example of a citizen science project where people go out and document the flora and fauna of a particular area, a specified, pre-specified area over a specified period of time. And so the City Nature Challenge is pretty much 
the same thing, but on a citywide scale? Is that how you would describe it? See, you know, that I think that's one of the stumbling blocks, really, especially for my project. When you start a, a, a city nature challenge project, one of the first things that you have to do is decide the boundary. And so I chose to do the entire county of the entire county, Bonner County, uh, Idaho. And so when, you, when you're trying to pitch it to people that we're doing a countywide bio blitz, but it's under the name City Nature Challenge, you know, you have to do a little, you have to do a little educating. And it, it started, in case people don't know, as a competition between Los Angeles and, and San Francisco back in 2016, or yeah, 2016. And since then, it's grown to this year, the projection is to have 359 cities from around the world participating. So as far as I know, it's the largest bio blitz in existence. And is it, is it run by iNaturalist? Is, is that correct? Because all of the, the data is logged on iNaturalist, right? So again, it was a combination effort between the California Academy of Sciences and the Natural History Museum of Los Angeles County. They came up with this app, iNaturalist. And, and again, I have to really take this opportunity to call out Allison Young of the California Academy of Science, mm-hmm. Isla Higgins and Amy Jones of the Natural History Museum of Los Angeles County. Those three are the ones that basically organized the City Nature Challenge. And we use the iNaturalist app to document flora and fauna during the BioBlitz. And for those of you who don't know about iNaturalist, it's this super cool app where you basically take pictures of anything living and it has an AI function built into it. So if you have no idea what it is, I mean, of course you could just upload it as like something you literally, there literally is a category of something, but usually you're able to say that it's like a fungi, a plant or an animal. And they have, like I said, the built-in AI that helps you identify it. And it's just, it's so cool how close the matches are and you can choose from that. And then I don't know if you've used Seek. Seek is their, oh. their new app. Seek, I, I love Seek, but it's it. you really can only use it for slow moving things <laughs> or plants, which are stationary. But you you take your phone and you hover it over the organism and it, and it identifies it for you in, in real time. And then you can post it to iNaturalist or the app. Well, it, it, it's a little bit complicated going from seek to iNaturalist, but you can do it, but you're right. What I, the difference between the two, I like to think of seek as iNaturalist baby brother or baby (laughs) sister. You don't need an account, whereas you do need to set up an account with iNaturalist. And with iNaturalist, you have to be a 13 or older to create an account. And like you said, both of them work the same way. You take your phone camera or you can use a digital camera and, and, and save the images to your computer and upload those to iNaturalist too. But, but basically you, you point it at something and it will suggest based on your location what it might be and then you can you can confirm it or or 
or maybe it, it doesn't get down to the genus and species levels. So upload the image and other people come behind you and that are, are species specialists and they will help you identify it. But the, I think the advantage, and this is what I'm, I'm doing, I'm encouraging people to use Seek first because you don't need an account. And, and like you said, you hover over something and it will, it will help you identify how close you need to be to get down to the genus and species level. So if you're just far away from something, it might just say a mammal. And then you get a little bit closer and it'll say, well, it's a carnivore. And then if you get a little bit closer, it'll, it'll tell you what it is. So it helps you understand what kind of picture you need to take to make a good observation in iNaturalist. It's, it, they're amazing. They really are. And, and so I'm encouraging people since there's a couple ways that, that younger kids participate in iNaturalist. Typically, a school teacher will create a, an account for her grade and then she'll take the kids out and they'll all kind of be making observations. And, and then so she'll use her account uh, to upload the pictures. But a more family-friendly way, I think, would be to have a parent with an, the iNaturalist app on their phone and a child using an iPad or, or an iPhone with Seek. And they could run around and, and identify things and then encourage their parent to come over and take a picture of it and upload it. So it's a great family building uh, exercise and, and just this whole, the, the reason why I was uh, attracted to the City Nature Challenge is it, it just is a great community building opportunity, I think. Get yeah, people, better, you know. Well, yeah, well, I definitely want to talk about that, but I just wanted to add with Seek and it'll also give you like guidance too. So I, I use it a lot on plants because I'm actually terrible at plants <laughs> and like, it, like, you know, usually I start like directly on the leaf and everything, but then it'll say like, you know, try different angles and then you do try right. different angles and it, and it right. often gets you to species and, and you're correct. That is a part of iNaturalist. I forgot to add that that the community helps you identify it. So if you, if you mark something as wrong or incorrect, then they will, they will correct it. And usually, I mean, some, sometimes you have observations that, that don't get any, any feedback on them, but if it receives a certain number of responses that are the same from, I think it has to be from special accounts too. And then it gets a research grade and And at that point, then um, actually scientists can use it for research. Exactly. And, and in our lab, we ha- we were talking a lot about how to use iNaturalist data. So it's actually, it's really important for understanding like timing of things like seasons. So with, with climate change and changing temperatures, you know, plants are, or flowers are blooming sooner. We're seeing insects sooner, snakes sooner. So it helps with that seasonality. It is a really great resource for documenting the spread of invasive species because you can find out to what new areas they go to and also just changing ranges in general with animals. And you, you can get some sort of like course measure of how common things are depending on the species, but it is, it is hard to, to get a value for that because so much depends on survey effort. Like, like you have to, 
you have to go out and do it regularly if you were to do it as a scientist. And I know myself, I usually do it when I'm walking my dogs. So if they're like pulling or, they, or there's deer, sometimes I'm doing something that's deer round or another dog coming. I'm like, I can't, I can't do that today. <laughs> or I've, I've already, um, you know, seen that species before and I don't want to upload it again. So there's a lot of different biases. And, and just one more thing, if you are taking a photo with your digital camera, or you can even use camera traps, make sure you have the location and the, the date and the time, because that's the, that's also, the, those are the key components for, for the scientific data. You know, that brings up a couple of really good points. One related to the City Nature Challenge, it's this time, this time frame every year, and for Northern locations like North Idaho, it's not really the best time because we're just emerging from winter. And so the kinds of plants that, that seek will, will be able to identify and iNaturalists will be able to identify are less because there's less foliage, right? So that's been kind of a challenge too. It's like, why do you call it a city nature challenge and why are you doing it this time of year? And the reason why I went ahead and decided to, to try to do this wasn't necessarily to compete with other cities to find the most species, for example, but it was just to introduce people to citizen science and to get them to uh, learn how to use the app so that in the summer, and then again in the fall, we'll be able to continue to do bio blitzes and, and notice the seasonal changes. And hopefully once they use, once they realize how easy iNaturalist is, is to use and how that can contribute to the, a larger body of knowledge, then they might be interested in doing nature's notebook, for example or the Great Sunflower Project, or all of the other citizen science projects that are out there. You know, so, so they, they, can, they can begin to incorporate observations and connect or reconnect to uh, their environment through these really easy to use free apps. I love that. Yeah. That I love, I love the fact that it's free, that it's easy. Like, even as somebody genuinely really interested in nature to buy all the different field guides and for, you know, animals like insects, which can be really difficult right. to identify or plants too. Right. Uh, you would need all these different field guides that might be difficult to navigate. So it really breaks down barriers. And I see, I belong to a Facebook group for Carolina wildlife, I think identification or nature identification and people all the time are posting pictures there and it's not necessarily like they're, 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 you know, going out all the time and finding this stuff, but it's nice if like something interesting pops up and you're like, what is this? And then you can usually find out right away. So talking about insects, you know, they move, right? Especially the flying ones. And, and, and that's been kind of also an interesting educational outreach. So like, how do you, how can you get them to stay still long enough? You, know? you see them flying from flower to flower. Do you try to chase them around until you get a good picture? Or do you find a flower and sit there and wait for the insect to come so that you can take a picture of it? And one thing Courtney has done, she's Courtney Long in Red Lodge. She turned me on to the idea of painting mason jars 
white and then capturing them in the mason jar. And then, and she has like a ruler along, along the bottom. Ah. And then you can, you can take a picture of the insect in the jar and then let it go. So that, that's, that's yeah. And then the white provides a solid background so that the AI can probably identify it better and you can just see it better too. Yeah. So we, we actually never talked about the dates of the City Nature Challenge. So that's at the, it's at the end of April. When does it start? So it's April 30th through May 9th with April 30th through May 3rd being the days when you go out and make the observations. And then May 4th through 9th, you upload them and identify them. And then on May 10th, all of the all of the numbers are tabulated and the results are posted. So and, and sorry, go ahead. Well, so in the in the past, it's been kind of a competition where you challenged each other, but with COVID and the limitations that that brought, it's been more of a a, a collaboration. You know, so it's not so much about you know who's getting the most. It's just the idea of getting people outside, but. Between Boise and Red Lodge and Bonner County, we're going to have, like I mentioned, a mini competition where, and we're going to have a, a statue, a trophy made, and the, the challenge that gets the most people out per capita will get to, get to keep the trophy for a year. And we've each, this is kind of a, a cool little wrinkle, right? Uh, we've each picked our own uh, mascot. So Red Lodge is going to have a moose. Boise is going to have a peregrine falcon, and we're going to have a Sasquatch. So Courtney over in Red Lodge worked with a local artist, and we're going to have a, a metal trophy that has three mountains, like third, first, and second, just like on a, a typical competition platform. And we'll have medallions for each one of our mascots. So we'll be able to move them around from year to year. Or, you know, and hopefully we're going we're gonna to encourage other cities around here. So we'll have additional medallions made. So it'll be, it'll, it's just going to be fun, you know? Yeah, that sounds, why did you choose a, a Sasquatch? <laughs> That's a good story. Well, it, the Pacific Northwest is known for Sasquatch sightings. And, and people around here have said that they've seen them and there are businesses and people around town that have have a Sasquatch statues so what we decided to do kind of a variation on that theme just for our county we're going to have a wooden Sasquatch cut out a silhouette and we're going to place it in four different places in the county over the course of the four different days to encourage people to get out And we're going to have like little Sasquatch trophies made. And so the first person that identifies the, sees the silhouette and gets 20 observations will get a little trophy. That's so fun. I love that. (laughs) It should be fun. Yeah. (laughs) And then getting back to the, the major city challenge, how, how do they determine winner? Is it, is it number of species or number of participants or number of observations? Because 
with the species, well, and participants, it can be kind of unfair because you have, you know, bigger cities. LA is a huge city and you, you also South, you just have, like you mentioned more diversity and plus ours um, is coming out more. So how, how is any winner established in this? So, so typically they have three categories, total observations, total species and total people. And, you know, as, as Courtney and Kristen and I have talked about, you know, our competition, you know, it, it, it's the case that, and it, what, what, one of the things that we're, we're encouraging people to do, there's lots of, lots of trails around here. So what we're encouraging people to do is, is, is split up into different trails and, and document as much biodiversity as there are on all the different trails around here. So if you're going to go out hiking anyway, combine the hike with this, this city nature challenge. But then the question is, you know, in the course of a nine mile hike, you might see 10,000 ponderosa pines. Right. Each of those could be an observation, right? So do we want to encourage people to do that? And then the, the kind of the reverse is true. What if, what if in a city park, there was only one ponderosa pine and 50 different people made the same observation, you know? So it gets kind of tricky. Yeah. So we just said, you know, we just want, we want to introduce people to the idea of a bioblitz. We want to encourage them to use iNaturalist. So it'll just be the number of people, individuals that get out and then divided by, you know, the population. And that's how we're going to determine a winner. And if you do live in a big city, there is nature in cities. LA initiated it. They're a big city and there are birds everywhere. There are insects everywhere. In LA, there are coyotes. Even there's there's pumas and cougars, same animal around around LA. So so just look more closely in your city if you if you live in a big city. You're right. <laughs> it, but but I have a tendency to be kind of a contrarian. And for me, I think that's necessary, but it's not sufficient. I think, or at least the, this is the angle that I'm pitching the City Nature Challenge from. It's not documenting what's there, but it's identifying and recognizing all of the native plants and animals that we have forced off of the landscape to recognize what's missing. And as I've promoted the City Nature Challenge, this is kind of the, the unique angle that I took. I, I wasn't sure exactly how I was gonna promote it, but I, I decided on a Facebook page. And what I did was I went to the Idaho Fishing Games website and they have the ability to download a species list or a county. And so I downloaded that and I, I subsorted it into reptiles and amphibians, birds, fish, invertebrates, and mammals. And then I subsorted that by the state rank. And I, I, I listed the most threatened species first, just to give, you know, up here, it's the Northern caribou or the grizzly bear or the wolverine. I mean, those are kind of the iconic species that mm -hmm. Are threatened, but what about what about all of the other ones? You know that don't get recognition. 
what about the habitat that we've destroyed for those animals or, or, or because of development we might destroy? So, you know, it was just a way to introduce people to all of the life forms around so that when they actually go out, they'll have like a baseline information about them and they'll be able to kind of recognize them. But then as they're out to recognize all of the, all of the animals that they don't see, you know, and that's why I'm such a, I have so many influencers, right? And one of them is Robin Wall Kemmerer. I don't know if you know her, but Brady. Well, I actually just listened to, she was on Ologies. It's a science <sighs> podcast and she was talking about moss. <laughs> and, yeah. and, and when you think about it, like I, like I was like, okay, moss, like how, and even as a scientist, I was like, how are we going to make this fascinating? Although I knew it was going to be, but she, she was fantastic. I highly recommend everyone listen to that. And well, you can go oh, ahead and I'll tell you one more thing I liked about the podcast, but no, yeah. I was just going to say that. Like, so there, there's definitely a movement among scientists to incorporate indigenous knowledge, especially right. with reference to international work, at least, at least with um, the United States and Europe, you know, frequently, you know, white scientists go to Africa. I mean, myself included, I did my research right. in Gabon and Kenya, go to Asia and, you know, we study things with our method, but the people there, they already know a lot of this stuff. Right. And, and historically, we have even, you know, taken specimens out of the country and away from them, and not valued and, and respected their or even acknowledged their their knowledge. And with conservation, especially that has really backfired. And scientists really now are starting to recognize the, the value of that. So she talked about just, I can't remember what it was about, but about like, I can't remember what it was, but somehow she talked about like a central knowing and like that we're all connected. And, and I think like when you think about indigenous cultures, like we appreciate that and we can accept that. But for us, like, like we, I think we feel like we're very disconnected, but we're not like, there's still that, that oneness. And like you said, that like a little app, like iNaturalist can help you become a part of that again, or at least that's part of the goal. Absolutely. You know, and just as, as an aside, you know, moving to a new place, I didn't know anyone. I didn't have any, any relatives here. So, and by the way, my, my path is pretty similar to yours. So I, I, I really resonate with your story and I, I admire- You're a fancy scientist too. <laughs> sitting I'm actually not fancy today. I'm in a sweatshirt today. <laughs> uh, no, I'm probably the fur furthest thing from a fancy scientist, but you know, just the fact that you took leaps, you know, and, and went places where, where you were a stranger, you know, and it turned out to be uh, just life transforming experiences. I've, I've had a couple of those in my life, not going overseas, but now that I'm retired, I'm definitely kind of in that phase right now, you know? So when I moved here, I had, I had kind of three strategies. I wanted to first know the Native Americans that had lived on this landscape for tens of thousands of years. And then I wanted to kind of systematically learn the life forms that had co-evolved over millennia. And then I kind of did a, an organizational blitz where I, I wanted to find out 
which organizations and which people were doing conservation work. And, and it's, it's just been, it's, it's been a, a marvelous journey, you know? And, and for sure, it wasn't until I, I came up here that I became familiar with Robin's work, but just the whole idea of traditional ecological knowledge and, and, and looking at things as being sacred, you know, and, and, and coming, coming away from the idea that we're apart a, a from nature to the understanding that we are a part of nature and that there is a web of life. And for too many people, and I think this is especially true for folks that live in the city, you know, our technology has allowed us to kind of achieve maybe an escape velocity where we don't have to worry, you know, about food and shelter and water and places to raise our young. But all of the other life forms around us haven't had that ability. And so they're just out there struggling, you know, to just live from day to day. And the only, and this Robin is, is uh, going to be uh, offering a, a Zoom presentation, I think in a couple of days, called What Does the Earth Ask of Us? And, and I, I think it's, it's gonna, it has the potential, the promise to be just really excellent because it, it just gets people to understand that, you know, all we need to do is, is allow enough habitat for these creatures to be able to cling, you know, to life and to not fragment and, and to put even more pressure on populations to survive. So yeah, I'm, 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 a, I'm a huge fan of that. And, and at the beginning, before the podcast started, we, we talked about the idea of, again, kind of making a transition away from this idea of citizen science to community science. And uh, you're much more knowledgeable about that, but I'm, I'm, I'm also a big advocate of that. Yes. I mean, so really the, the transition with that is, is citizen science. I just don't think people thought about the, the phrase in depth, but it was never meant that you have to be a citizen of the country, but here in the United States, you know, we have lots of people who are not officially citizens, but they are more than willing to help out with this. So so the scientists and people running these programs are now starting to transition to using community science to be more inclusive. I wanted to add for the fragmentation and the habitat destruction part. Yes, you're absolutely right that that, that decreases biodiversity. But for those people who live in already developed areas, you might be thinking like, what can I do? Or, or all, all is lost. And that's not true. So if you own, if you own a yard, a front yard and a backyard, there are things that you can do that are actually really important to animals. And when we talk about animals, I mean, so often people think about the, the big ones, the, the tigers, the grizzly bears, all of that, but just plant, planting native plants in your yard can bring back insects and birds feed off of those insects or birds feed off of the plants. And I mean, you might have some bigger mammals living there, but those communities are all really important. And there is solid research to show that these little green patches, even within big cities, 
can help migratory birds and, and pollinators persist? So you're right. You're absolutely right. And I, I need to acknowledge my two primary organizers, Mike Bauer with the East Bonner County Library, just an excellent guy and doing great work in the community. And Preston Andrews, who is a professor emeritus and is a member of the Kinnikinnick Native Plant Society. And so he immediately, you know, when I, when I proposed, when I started pitching this idea, he immediately saw how his organization could could use the City Nature Challenge to promote to its membership the need to plant natives. And so, you know, one of the goals, and I have several goals, but I think probably, you know, a basic goal would just be to get people to go out in onto their property and identify natives versus non-natives. And then using something like Nature's Notebook, observe the, the, the numbers and kinds of insects that, that use the plants on their own property and then make decisions going forward, you know, to, to change their landscape, to support insects and pollinators. And, you know, one, another huge influencer for me is Doug Ptolemy, you know, bringing nature home and, and, and the whole idea of promoting the homegrown national parks and how, how each of us could, could have such a, a tremendous positive impact on insect populations if we just planted native plants. Yeah, and there was a study out maybe a, a year or two now that said we were in a major decline for insect populations and insects are really hard to get people behind. <laughs> people are not excited about bringing insects back. Another thing you can do is even just, you know, don't use pesticides or, or herbicides if you have to in your yard. Every year they knock on my door and they're like, we're spraying your neighbor's house for ants and, and whatever. And I'm like, I don't want it because it harms animals. And they're like, oh no, it's safe for the pets. And I'm like, ants are animals. <laughs> like, I don't want them killed either. <laughs> So, so your goals are to, to obviously monitor biodiversity and to get people outside and then also community build, you mentioned as well. Can you, can you yeah. talk about how you're doing that? Well, you know, just so I, I think it's probably important to point out that the, the, the process for joining a city nature challenge begins in the summertime. And, and the, the organizers will say to returning organizers, okay, it's time to start thinking about setting up a challenge. And they encourage, you know, new cities that haven't done it before to do it. And so typically, the, from what I can tell, you know, the, the, the organizer will be like, like Courtney or Kristen, you know, involved with a city. It's, they have a job. And this is something that, that they can do to help build community, to encourage people to get out, you know, and document biodiversity. For me, I'm just a citizen. And I went to all these different conservation-related organizations and said, hey, would you be interested in doing it? And they just had capacity issues. Yeah, it's a great idea, but, you know, we just, we can't do it. Mm -hmm. So I... 
I simply said, well, would you, would you encourage me to find out information about it and then create a platform that your organization can use for its own purpose? I'll do all the hard work. So that, that's the way that I'm approaching it. I'm just providing a platform for all of the other people who are doing so much good work. And it, we could have another podcast for me to just name them all because they're just, they're giants in the community, right? And I, if, I, if, I, if I start naming them, I'm sure that I, I'd miss some, you know, and I don't want to do that. But, but it's, it's primarily for these organizations to find ways to incorporate um, this into their own programming. So if someone is interested in starting one in their city, what should they do? Should they, should they reach out to one of the people that you've mentioned or their local museum? How, how could they start? I think, you know, the easiest thing to do would just be to go to the City Nature Challenge website, citynaturechallenge.org. And really, I mean, it's, it's amazing, you know, how much work that they've already done for you and how they've laid out the steps in, in, in such a logical and easy, easy sequence. You know, it, it, it's, it's amazing how easy it is to organize one. You know, and, and they say to new organizers, look, we know you've never done one before. We know you're nervous, you know, that you're going to make mistakes. But the point is to just do it. Just do it. And, and you'll learn. And next year it'll be better. And we're here to help you. We have this group of other organizers that are willing to help. There's a Slack group that you can join. They have regular Zoom meetings and asynchronous meetings every month to just help you, you know, make the steps along the way. It's, it's, it's amazingly easy, even for someone like me. If I can do it, anybody can do it. Well, you, I looked at the website that you organized and it's, it's very well organized or the Facebook page oh, well, thank or you. group page. Are there, so this might, it might be different this year because of COVID or last year because of COVID, but are there in-person events? So are there like, for example, maybe a bat biologist, like misnutting bats, or just if somebody doesn't want to hike alone, are there like groups that they can join that they can do it together? There, there has been at least one other, well, two bio blitzes in the county in, in the past. And both of those have been in-person events where you had somebody knowledgeable that would walk with you to help you identify specific species. And I think as a general rule, looking at other city nature challenge sites, that there are a lot of in-person events, but we don't plan to have any. We're, we are gonna take advantage of Zoom and, and we're going to record trainings via Zoom and make those available to people. And then to make available all of the other wonderful resources that, that the City Nature Challenge organizers have, have created. But the idea then, you know, at this time, since it's the first time, you know, we're just, all we want people to do is just go out into your backyards with your 
iPad or your iPhone or your you know smart device and start there. And then it, that's simple enough. And then if we do organize another bio blitz in the summer and in the fall, maybe maybe the COVID situation will, will be different and then we'll be able to organize some in-person events. But the idea, again, we're, we're just going to take a baby step and, and, and encourage people to just document what's in their own backyard. Yeah, that's, that's fantastic. I did have one more question. Oh, do you, do you know of any discoveries that were found from the city nature challenge? Like, like the past ones, do you know if there were any new species or unexpected species or things like that? Certainly, if you if you research city nature challenges at all, you you can see any number of different instances where that's been the case. But for me, no, I, I haven't. I haven't been there. No, right. I was just wondering in past ones and in, in other cities, if you knew of like oh, specific yes. examples. I don't. I can't think of a specific example, but I remember reading pretty recently about a species of lizard. That someone had found a new species or a rediscovered species. No, a new species. Oh yeah. wow, that's yeah. pretty impressive for a lizard. Because usually, yeah. when we think of new species, we think of really small things. So that's that's yeah. really cool. Yeah, and you'll never know what you'll find. I was really surprised to know, honestly, that new species are being discovered here, even in urban areas. I I worked for Rob Dunn under under the Students Discover Grant. He was the one who 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 ran it and he has a lab here and part of it is on urban biodiversity and he studies ants or in his students study ants and they've discovered new species here in Raleigh, North Carolina and they have some ant work in the the medians of Manhattan actually like those little strips that just have like a tree or something right they've done ant research there I can't remember if they discovered new species or not but but the whole point is when I was growing up I thought as a scientist, you know everything and that everything is more or less discovered, except maybe in like the middle of the rainforest or the, these deep pockets in, in the world where people don't um, go that frequently. But scientists, I think, have been pretty slow to study the nature really around us and especially in cities. So there is still a lot of really cool things out there um, waiting for yeah. people to find them. Or that indigenous people know about that we don't know about. It's not documented to science. Well, I, I think you, you know that I'm really interested in watersheds and mm-hmm. quality monitoring. And I, I sat in on a Zoom presentation for macro uh, invertebrates in Glacier National Park. And it's amazing how much, how little we know you know, just about that ecosystem and about the biodiversity of macroinvertebrates just at different altitudes along the same, along the same stream. It's, and they're finding new ones all the time. It's just amazing. It is amazing. Well, thank you so much for chatting with me. Do you have any Mm -hmm. final thoughts before we wrap up? Well, I was going to say that maybe a, a title for this podcast would be Blame It on Baba. He was another a major influence of mine. In the end, we will conserve only what we love. 
we will love only what we understand. We will understand only what we are taught. So thank you for being an educator and bringing people together. And I, you know, maybe one last quote, I just came across this the other day in an article titled Sounds of Silence. Extinction is erasing the earth's music. They are quoted someone by the name of Jana Macy. And she said, you don't have to do it all. Other people are working all around the world on the same causes you believe in. Find them, join up with them. You'll find your place in the choir. Choose what you love and devote yourself to it. That's enough. I love that. What a great way to end. Thank you again so much. And I hope you win the, 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 the triad city challenge and the whole nature challenge. That would be awesome for your first time. Thank you. Thank you, George, so much for that interview. I had so much fun talking to you and learning from you. You really have some amazing ideas for bringing people together that will benefit the people and nature. And if you're interested in joining the City Nature Challenge, you can find all of the information and links, including the links to um, George's specific City Nature Challenge in the show notes. So just head over to fancyscientist.com and go to the podcast archive and you will see the episode there. If you like this episode, care about wildlife, care about conservation, or know somebody who is interested in going into wildlife biology careers, please share this episode. You can also rate and review my podcast that really helps people find it. My goal is to spread messages of conservation and kindness for wildlife and to help people navigate wildlife biology careers. Rating and reviewing my podcast really helps other people find it. If you have questions or show ideas, you can find me at fancyscientist.com. My social media handles are at fancyscientist. On Instagram, there's an underscore between fancy and scientist. You can also send an email to hello at fancyscientist.com. If you're an aspiring wildlife biologist, ecologist, or zoologist, you can join me every Wednesday at 12 p.m. Eastern Standard Time for Facebook Live, where I answer different career questions. You can also ask me questions on the spot. I'm here for you. Thank you so much for listening. I appreciate every single one of you. I am so grateful for you. I hope you have an amazing day. Be kind to animals and be kind to each other.